3: Greetings and salutations, my fine metal friends Welcome to another edition of the Metal Sucks Podcast How you doing? It's uh, Chickity Chuck Hey, Godless And uh, this is episode 11 of the Metal Sucks Podcast Welcome, I'm feeling a little bit ragged uh, while I'm trying to record this show Because, yeah, I got to go see the Sabbath last night Uh, What's left of the Sabbath? It was a long-ass night, man Uh, Though Eating pancakes at 4 in the morning, you know, kind of drives you a little bit batty pardon the pun uh yeah it's been a long week of a long week of stuff
0: man yeah because you went summer slaughter in this week too right
3: yeah summer slaughter was uh was uh in austin uh this week as well and that was a that was a pile of awesomeness uh wrapped in 133 degree weather in an outside venue (laughs) so yeah brutal man uh that's that's the one thing i just don't understand why bands have to come to texas in the summer i just don't i don't get why the cycle why we're on the cycle i I don't know what the deal is if it has to run with uh the school schedule or okay summertime it's when all the kids are off let's go do the blah blah, blah. Uh, maybe i could see some of that but damn dude it's always just so flipping hot and then you do outside shows here and and just want to kill everybody
0: they they were announcing the maryland death fest dates or uh uh, bands a little bit this week and it's like don't they do that in like the fall or something they should be doing that right about now
3: yeah and the fall in the in in the northeast you're just like what what why 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 on the east coast do you need it what why the fall should be here and you could do the summer over there but but, yeah. then, but then again it's been the big news has been the heat wave up in uh, up in the northeast and it's been what uh it's going to be 92 today oh my god
0: <laughs> 92 and beautiful
3: yeah and lots of shade from all the buildings and yeah whatever
0: yeah i don't get why the us has become the sort of like touring festival place and and europe seems to be the super mega awesome festival that everybody goes to oh i
3: get why i get exactly why that is it's because uh europe is tighter there there's such a tighter place and people can get around better there you know it takes a lot less time to get from spain to france than it does from texas to california so we just have way too many wide open spaces here yeah Yeah. but those are those
0: spaces are perfect places to set up a festival.
3: Yeah, well, and and look at what they've started doing with Fun 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 Fest, and they started doing with uh, Coachella, and they started doing with Bonnaroo, and started doing with uh, Maryland Death Fest, and right. you know, and all those. It's just a yeah.
0: matter of I've time. Just- the Maryland Death Fest folk gotta start looking towards Texas a little bit. Maybe some other place they need like four, you know? Do four. Do one in Maryland, do one in California, do one in Texas, do one in Wisconsin. Good good deal. You uh, know?
3: See, I still swear that 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 what needs to happen in Texas is that say we just need to say screw it and do Ozfest every year, but just do a big one off OzFest in Dallas and call it even. Right. You know, that uh, that that Ozfest that in 08 that they did up there. Was, was perfect, you know. Is it was at a big soccer stadium? There's a hundred thousand people there. Metallica played, you know. Black Sabbath. all it was badass, and that was great. It was perfect. It's all you needed. You don't need to do the big tour or anything. And that's probably all that Ozzy can handle anymore, too. So if they wanted to trot him out anymore, that's
0: yes. Yeah, <laughs> speaking of Ozzy, it sounds like you got a chance to almost sort of be in his
3: presence. <laughs> well, I was in his presence, all right. Uh, I even got the picture to prove it. The one picture that we are allowed to take. <laughs> It was, oh, man, those radio meet and greet things are always, always interesting, dude. Hey, you're going to get to meet Ozzy Osbourne. Come on, everybody. It's going to be great. You get to go backstage and meet Ozzy Osbourne. All right, stand in this room. Don't look at him when he comes in the room. Everybody stand <laughs> still. Smile, because we're only going to get one picture, and that's it. Ozzy Osbourne walks in the room, stand, and click, done. Okay, y'all get the hell out. We got paying customers coming up next. So.
0: <laughs> it was less a meet and greet and more like a verification that the man is alive. Totally, right? It it,
3: it actually sort of was, but uh, that's not that's totally typical. Like I've been to so many of those over the years. It's crazy. If you get anything else, it's just, it's so strange to actually get other stuff out of people. You know, that's why we try to do different stuff over the years with uh with different bands and try to be creative with it and one of the craziest ones was um don't slight me was Azalea Dying back in the day uh, we did one with Azalea Dying uh when Tim was it was I,
0: dating I, <laughs> it was a, everybody gets a speed date <laughs>
3: yes no we we did a we did kind of a sit and mingle thing with the chicken wings and play pool and so so we basically hung out and played pool but the, when those guys walked into the room didn't know what to do because there wasn't like an organized line or a table for them to sit at and autograph stuff. It's like, no, you have to mingle, enjoy yourselves. And they're like, I don't know what's going on. It was crazy, dude. It was crazy to kind of try to watch them do it. We did a paintball thing with Mastodon. Where Mastodon came out and played paintball with people that won won stuff, and that was cool. That was really cool because they came. I mean, it wound up it wound up they weren't able to play paintball that day because I figured we don't want our dudes playing paintball the day that they're going to play a show because you know what happens if he trips and breaks an ankle or some crap like that. But they did come out to this you know remote place and like hang out with everybody and say hi and autograph stuff and. You know, they were just really cool about it, and it was pretty awesome. And it was something different than just stand there and take one picture. So it was kind of guessing
0: neat. I'm guessing that things didn't go well when you showed up with your paintball paintball gear to meet Ozzy.
3: Well, honestly. yeah.
0: Did you get to meet Andrew W.K.?
3: No, I did not. But I, I didn't, like, force that. I've met him before, though. He's a, he's a really nice guy. You Just go to South by Southwest one year, and you'll be, you meet him because he, he's there every year no he's a he's a really awesome guy you know really friendly dude so it was yeah. fun that dj said thing was just kind of it kind of odd but it you know it did what he was supposed to do all right play some metallica okay cool because we got what the second date on the on the world tour uh on the u.s world tour or u.s north american tour for black sabbath and um it was uh an interesting show they uh um, is
0: it Is it Sabbath, or do you walk away going, I I feel incomplete?
3: Well, what's weird about it is, is, I mean, I had this discussion with everybody last night after the show, because, you know, after it was all done, we all went and got hammered afterwards, just because that's what you do, and talked about everything. And there's, you know, the one faction that didn't want to spend the money on tickets used the whole, whatever, it's not Black Sabbath without Bill Ward excuse, because they didn't want to spend money on the tickets. I get that. Right. You know, and you can use that excuse all day long, but it's still Tony Iommi, man. I don't care. It's still Tony Iommi and Geezer Butler. Like that's what the show is all about. Ozzy Osbourne, man, he had some serious trouble last night. It was, um, and it wasn't like um, sometimes you have a little pitchy problems. You get some weird stuff happen on the first couple of songs. Do so you get warmed up and you get going into it? And I've got a lot of leeway with somebody who's who's sixty four, sixty five years old up there singing, trying to do what he did when he was 20, I can forgive a lot of that stuff. So I figured it would sort of develop as it went. Yeah, he had the problems. About two songs in, he pulled out his in-ear monitors, and I think he just couldn't hear himself, man. So the entire night, and uh, in there, man, it was all like flat and really didn't go anywhere, and it was oh, it was hard to listen to at some points, man. It Oof. screwed up the lyrics to War Pigs right when they came out. Uh. <laughs> like, screwed it up like Tony Iommi gives him that look like it's Aussie, <laughs> so, you know, stuff like that, man. So detail-wise, it was it was it was pretty rough, but damn it, it's good to watch Tony Iommi play. It really is, man. Uh, it's it's great to watch it play, and I had a great time at the show. So I mean, that's the that's the other thing is that I enjoyed it. But yeah, we need to we need to get Ozzy some better monitors.
0: I, I just don't, I don't think he could
3: hear himself. It was weird.
0: Do you think that? Yeah. I mean, did you notice like the other guys sort of like looking at him with those sort of like that shifting glance, of where you <sighs> kind of go, I, like I can't it, believe you're embarrassing me like this. Yeah, like I said,
3: when he screwed up the lyrics to War Pigs, Tony Iommi gave him that look. I mean, like literally, just gave him a. Pff, that's Aussie for you, the, the crazy Aussie. You know, I, I he gave him one of those kinds of looks, but uh, otherwise, I think they were just focused on. I'm just going to make sure that all my stuff is perfect, and they really did. I mean, they were they were, I mean, spot on. The band was amazing. So Geezer did that NIB intro and just nailed it. You know, it was just crazy how good it was. So.
0: That, there was a lot of good stuff about it and a lot of bad stuff about it. but. So did Ozzy jump the shark last night, or did he jump the shark when he dressed up like Bea Arthur on the uh, Ultimate Centaur? I don't think Ozzy's jumped the shark, bro. What are you <laughs> talking stopped. about?
3: He's got another t- 20 years in him, man. There's There's <laughs> at least $30 million left in that dude. We're going to have to squeeze it out are going to have to put a tap in him and see if we can drain the rest out of that of, of his body. We're going to sell his essence. When it's all done, they're going to take his ashes. They're going to package it up and sell it to you as something because we got to make more money off his ass. Somehow. Does he
0: does he look healthier than he's looked in the past or does he look older or what?
3: No, he looks older. He doesn't look any. I mean, I saw it when he was like at the very kind of worst when he was still heavy, heavily drinking. like You know, when he was still having some serious problems. Uh, and he had a lot of trouble moving around. Me, uh, he, he had some trouble moving around, but more like that's my grandpa, <laughs> kind of. Yeah, he looks. It looks like his back hurts. <laughs> you know that kind of stuff. Not. Uh, yeah, it's like it, it was a little weird looking, but in, in the end, he didn't look. He looked pretty healthy from what you could tell. You know, I mean, yeah. Did he look like he did when he was forty? No. Did he look like he did when he was twenty? No but he's getting old. He's definitely getting old. When, when Mick Jagger turned 70 this week, so, I mean, everybody's getting older, you know, but Mick Jagger can actually move around on stage. <laughs> right. he's, he's, done, he's done well taking care of himself, you know, and that's... Relatively. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. But when you think about it, and it was funny because uh, Summer Slaughter was this week, and talking about taking care of yourself, when you watch Dillard, escape plan on stage, and how much they just destroy things, it's crazy to think you know ben who broke his who broke his wrist or broke his hand you know playing guitar at a show live and those guys are what i think they're early 30s or something like that maybe like right around there and god what's that gonna look like when it's 60 man well i mean <laughs> can you imagine what greg and ben from dillinger are gonna
0: look like when they're 60 it's gonna be they're gonna have wheelchairs man there's gonna be no way Either that or they'll be just like in awesome shape because they always exercised, you know, they're always touring. They're always running around.
3: I don't know. We're going to we're going to get Greg on the show actually here at some point. And um, because I had a good interview, sit down with him and uh, we talked a little bit about that, uh, about how he wakes up in pain every day, you know, and and what that and what's that what that's like. And that's um, you know you've got to figure that that's going to really take its toll in the next ten years i mean hell my my back hurts right now, and it's just because I'm fat, you know it's not because I'm <laughs> jumping off stage, you know it's like dude i can, I can only imagine how bad that's going to get someday it's going to be it's going to be so rough, man. it really is, but I don't know. What else happened this week? We had uh, saw a little bit of news here and there, right? Like protest the hero. There's some hubbub about them uh, with their Indiegogo. Was it Indiegogo or Kickstarter? One of those. One of those. And uh, they made what three hundred fifty thousand dollars, so that they didn't have to get signed and then get signed. Wait.
0: Yeah, but they signed a distro deal. I it wasn't know. A I know. Record I Record label deal. Everybody on. Un- everybody's so stupid. I know what that is. Uh, you know, and that's the funny thing
3: is I just think nobody knows how anything works anymore. Right. Yeah, but wait, wait a minute, man! Your sign—they gave you must have gave you thousands of dollars to make that record. No, no. If you listen to the Misha interview last week, I think um, uh, Periphery it did exactly what "Protest the Hero" did, but they just didn't do it publicly. They made their own record, they made their own product, they put it all together, and they said, "You are not going to own this. We are going to own this. You are you can put it out though, mm-hmm. and we'll let you make some money off of it." I was like, I think, and I think that's exactly what Protest the Hero said in the beginning, and you know, th- I thought, I think it's pretty cool. So everybody, just shut the hell
0: up. And a bunch of record label loves it. They love it. It's totally like a perfect right. Deal, yeah. It's like no risks. You know, just put it out there and you know try to sell as much as possible because we're making more per disc than we ever did before.
3: Yeah, exactly. Think, and because you, you, you're not wasting any money
0: on uh, on putting it together. Right. The big question I've got for Protest the Hero is: uh, A, could you do it again? and will people still have the same kind of goodwill i think they will i think that there's a little bit of a pr you know that they need to do in the wake of everybody getting upset but they got to you know in order to do the, the same thing on the next album they kind of got to make sure every, uh, everybody's groovy but uh you know what do you do with all the profit now you know it seems like it's yeah. a, an awesome opportunity to maybe just invest in your next album um Invest in the stage show, invest in touring some places that you've never been to before True. in order to expand the audience. You know, that's the questions I've got. What's the plan, dudes? You guys have been given an awesome opportunity. Now what? Well, I think that,
3: uh, that we just need to get them on the show.
0: Yeah. yeah, we just need to get him on here to uh, to actually talk about it and figure and out. I demand that protest the hero <laughs> come on our show and, and I'm going to explain yourself, you bastards.
3: Yourself. <laughs> <laughs> That's you have to you got to tell us exactly what the hell you're going to do with your life, okay? <laughs> uh, all right, kids, get get out of the basement and get your ass to work, okay? We're gonna now we got to figure out what's going on there, but we do have uh, Mark Hunter coming up on the show today. Uh, Axel got to sit down and uh, chat with Mark Hunter about the brand new record that comes out this week, and uh, which that album is amazing. It really is. Uh, don't don't. We'll play a song off of it too. It's pretty incredible.
0: Now, is it Chimera or is it not Chimera? Well, there's
3: they address that. They're, they're, they address that in the interview, so you'll have to exactly. you have to listen a little. Uh, listen and uh, Mark talks a, talks a lot. Uh, you know, at length about some of that stuff. So that's uh, definitely something we want to get into. Probably play another song off. Uh, play another new song from All. All all Pigs Must Die this week. Uh, So that's coming up here in a little bit. And you had a special, special interview with,
0: well, not an interview. I wouldn't call it an interview. interview. It was the Varg, right? The the Varg refused to do an interview. All right, so this is it, all right? So I was able to get my people in touch with his people. And the Varg was not willing to do an interview. And uh, that was okay, but he he wanted to to talk. Uh, He also was in uh, uh, unable to talk about what happened uh, this week him and his wife being uh, Varg barbara uh, wife were uh, and uh, wife and he were arrested by the French police Well, for legal reasons the Varg is not able to talk about what went down but he demanded a platform to talk about the stuff that he's been putting on his blog and give it a little bit more, you know, shall we say, some flesh to, to what he's been talking about. So uh, we were willing to do that. Uh, we've got just a few minutes with him. The Varg is a busy man. Yeah, here it is. Uh, the Varg uh, talking about uh, one of the recent posts on his uh, website.
4: Hello, my name is Varg Vikrams, and I'd like to read um, something from my blog for you. Um, this is one from Blotuk Odol. I just posted it um, today. Man is a type of animals too, and we should see us as such so the question is then are there any polar bears living in Hawaii? I mean Sahara? there could be some in Hawaii would they be eating ham or spam as they like in Hawaii? I don't know any scorpion in the Arctic? any zebras in Europe or America? there are no zebras in America they don't deserve them any kangaroos out of Australia? of course they are not who would like kangaroos outside of Australia. Australians are idiots who like pretty animals that are ferocious and they could eat the shit out of you like a koala bear. Don't ever mess with a koala bear. One time, my friend from Mayhem, he was playing with a koala bear with his guitar and the koala bear slashed off one of his pinkies. It was a tragic day, but he still is one of the best guitars I've ever heard in my life wells in lakes and rivers and why are the world's larger in Canada than they are in Europe why aren't the African elephants identical to the Asian ones that's a good question I once spent 42 hours thinking of this when I was deep in the cabins of Norway I had nothing but ether and some pork rinds to eat and all I did was think about this topic African elephants, and Asian ones. The answer is that all creators are dictated by the laws of nature to live somewhere in particular, and they are adapted to the specific type of existence. They don't belong anywhere. They are not adapted to life elsewhere, if you like, not created to exist elsewhere. When I wrote this, I was very drunk, and I was very distracted by watching an episode of the gossip girls and i stopped writing and i went to watch my favorite episode and then when i came back i forgot what i was writing about so i just got more drunk and just continued writing so i don't even know what this is about why should this be any different for the many species and races of men you can make a tiger and a lion procreate and have offspring Interesting to have to do this with animals in captivity, like a cage, with creatures confined and cramped together in horribly unnatural environments, much like human beings in a city. The offspring will be neither a tiger nor a lion, though, and it will not be fit to live anywhere. Did you hear that the new prince in England is Prince George? I was not very surprised with the naming of the child, though I think it would have been much better if it was Prince Varg named after me, of course where was I? Cultures, customs, and religions, traditions, and worldviews. They do not shape and form tribes of men. Instead, they stem from the nature of these men and work to keep them in harmony with themselves. The nature of these men has been influenced by landscapes, forests, and fields, oceans, and mountains high, valleys deep, fjords, and changing seasons, plants, and herbs, animals living there too by the food they ate and the air they breathed, by temperatures and humidity. Each tribe of men has, over the course of time, become special and well adapted to its surroundings. This too, I was very drunk when I wrote this last night. I had the horrible shits, and I had to get to my toilet <clears throat> right away. I was, had a fever for some reason, I think, because I had some bad fear the night before, so I had to cope with this. So again, I don't know exactly what I'm saying at this point. some tribes are very similar to each other and some are very different from the rest a few are unique in almost each and every respect tribes have influenced each other too you know I will just skip to the end because this is very long and I am very uncertain of all these words that I am actually saying let me see one of my favorite here we go the end Europe wake up and embrace and revive yourself there is no other road to happiness harmony, prosperity or diversity Europe, wake up! Halal wooden not Thank you very much. That was a reading by me, Varg. Have an awful day.
3: I will have a bad day. <laughs> there you have it, right from the voice, or right from the man himself, the Varg. All celebrity voices may be impersonated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, that blog is so good, dude. <laughs> the, uh,
0: uh, have you? Did you read any more of the posts that were on on I, on? I, I, I mean, I've been oh reading God. almost every word, but the best part is reading through the comments on his blog. Oh, wow. You know, what I did. I actually didn't do that. I knew that. Yeah. Need to back. Okay. Oh, uh, so good. Cause yeah, he gets into a discussion about the, uh, the merits or demerits of his favorite four by four Jeep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I love it. I love it. It's oh, we're going to so have to get into when, that. When you can get somebody like Varg Vakerns to, to talk, talk about, about Jeeps. <laughs> so mundane. It just ends up being so great.
3: Whatever you talk serious, you must talk serious (laughs) at all times. We have to talk. I do not talk about anything that is not serious, only serious things. (laughs) Sometimes that's exactly. Exactly what you get. And other times you get great interviews like uh, like uh, Axel did with uh, Mark Hunter this week from Chimera.
0: So you really like this new Chimera album. I so do you like think, this new Chimera album. Do you think that when, when Mark Hunter is 70 years old and he wants to go out on the road, does he have to put together the Chimera from five years ago or does he have to put together this Chimera and this will be the Chimera that people remember? I think Mark Hunter is the mastermind.
3: He can do whatever he wants with it, honestly. I, th- I think that's the Chimera is his band pretty much always has been so i think um you're never gonna have he's evolved so much since their start there's been so many different lineup changes over the years i mean so many so i don't think there's one incarnation of that band that is better than another in a lot of in many cases i think this is some of the best stuff that they've ever written though and he uh talks to that to to that effect let's get into it axel and mr mark hunter from chimera his celebrity voice not impersonated.
1: How you been? I'm good. How are you, man? I'm doing well. Enjoying uh, the the last week of uh, summer life, domestic life, if you will, before, before you we, go on tour. Yeah, yeah. Basically, the band will come in next week and start rehearsing everything. So this will be my last week of uh, doing absolutely nothing related to music. <laughs> Is that what you do? <laughs> except when you're for intervie- except for except for interviews, All right? Yeah. Um, right. it's just a fine line of uh, balancing between the press or social media type of stuff. And then just trying to be like a normal suburbanite, if you will. Uh-huh. Where, where are uh, you right now in Cleveland? Yeah, I'm just, I'm at home. So I um, live about, uh, 30, 40 minutes outside, outside of, uh, the city. Got it. Is that where you grew up? Yeah, I grew up in, in, uh, town called Strongsville, which is on the DVD. um, the humanizing process a lot of our fans like to come there and look at the water tower for some reason <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i grew up in strongsville went went to high school there and then uh i live now in a town called brunswick which is like 10 minutes south of that
5: got it and is your family still in ohio yes yeah most of them uh there's they're either in ohio or florida got it what what do the hunters do I'm just curious, like, what is the family from which Mark Hunter came?
1: Yeah, well, um, my my mother was uh, a flight attendant back in the heyday of when flight attendant was like the rage. She was actually um, down in Miami and part of the whole, uh, she's part of Eastern Airlines when, if you saw that movie, Catch me if you can. Mm-hmm. When that guy was uh, going around doing all that, so that's if you can imagine like what airline travel was in that era. That's that was her. And then she was a nurse after that, and uh, head nurse, managing and this and that for most most the rest of her life, and she's finally retired. His father was a musician, played uh, uh, country bands, and played with a lot of the well-known country acts throughout time. And it was friends with, uh, all the big ones. I remember being a kid and like meeting Merle Haggard and, and uh, Charlie pride and all these like big time, uh, country acts and being on stage with John Schneider, the dude from <laughs> Dukes of hazard. And, uh, yeah. And then, so, and then the rest of the family, I mean, if you go way back in the lineage, the hunters like Scottish, Scottish, and it was, uh, some they rode rode with like Parliament and shit, and they were parts of the you know part of the knights and stuff. Owned a lot of owned, owned a lot of land and whatnot. that's crazy. I had no idea about your dad. Yeah, and I'm a, a part Native as well. Um, oh wow. Was he was fifty uh, percent uh, Cherokee, so I have quite a bit of Native tendencies, and I'm, I'm a war inside my head because the rest of the family is like. You know, from the UK. <laughs> uh, so do you on <laughs> the like- revolutionary <laughs> or no which the which war was not the revolutionary, but the uh I'm sorry, I can't think of my history right off the off the bat. But yeah, the English and the Indians they didn't really get along too well. Any Europeans for that matter. <laughs> do you do you still listen to any
5: country music?
1: <laughs> no, you know, I can't say I like this stuff at all. <laughs> um fair enough. I was ne- yeah, I stopped really I stopped really digging it um when I was probably like five. I it's when I discovered like Michael Jackson and Prince, I my mind was blown and that that uh I guess I gravitated more towards pop and um which then somehow got me into metal. <laughs> you don't remember like was there an older to who... Yeah, I remember the instance getting into metal for sure. It was the uh it was the guitar riff, um, the middle the the bridge for Angel of Death and it was uh I was walking to my my friend's house and his older brother was the, the typical 80s metal guy. He had the jean jacket, back patches, was washing his uh, rusty car and had his ghetto blaster playing music. And I literally turned around and was like, what the hell is that? That's the coolest thing I've ever heard. It's just was dark and, and super evil. And then uh, he was excited that I took an interest and then wound up showing me. I had this like massive tape collection, one of those old... Uh, cases where you could maybe 100 was on one side and then you could flip it over and there was a, another 100 or whatever it was on the other. And so I learned about like Merciful State and Venom and Iron Maiden and Metallica, all the uh, greats that I was exposed to at a really young age, like eight eight years old. And then I was also at the same time exposed to rap, which was hitting in the suburbs right around the mid 80s as well. So like Run DMC, LL Cool J, Beastie Boys, etc., And, uh, I liked how in that era, like dudes from Slayer were on Beastie Boys records and, and you heard rock music in Public Enemy and Slayer actually sampled that. So it was a cool era. Like the music that I was listening to as a kid was definitely cross, uh, they were crossing paths and collaborating quite a bit. So it was cool to like, both styles of music but was still an, still an oddball for liking it you know you're, I was like one of like five or six people in my school that knew what heavy metal was really
5: um that's crazy do you know where that older kid who first played
1: you Slayer is today yeah you know he actually is um I think he's like an editor of some magazine in oh, New York okay. uh, he wound up having a wound up having like a big shot job and I think he's he's published a, a book or two and is about to publish another book uh regarding um like why you shouldn't be in the music industry. <laughs> <laughs> I tried I tried to reach out to him uh through Facebook. I mean we're we're friends on there but uh I didn't really get much of a response, you know? Got
5: it. Well he's inadvertently responsible for you doing the thing he doesn't want you to do so
1: yeah i think i think so it's kind of it's kind of funny
5: um so the new album man congratulations uh like i owe you an apology i think plenty of chimera fans probably owe you an apology anybody who had doubts that you could keep the band going without the old dudes um how the hell did this all come together let's start here how did you decide to continue the
1: band uh, as the sole original member, yeah, that was um, that was just one of those moments in in time where um, you get I, I, you get a crazy phone call and a gun is to your head. Do you want to continue? Yes or no? And basically, what I was looking at was we had just finished recording our last album and we had booked about five or six months worth of touring and E1 had, and, and SPV had invested quite a bit of money into not only the production of, but the, um, promotional side of, of releasing our album. And, um, we had just kind of solidified getting Emil and, and Austin and, and Z in the group. And we were ready to to move forward and get a phone call that says Rob wants to retire from touring and, uh you've got uh, a kid on the way and do you want to continue uh <laughs> and i basically asked her manager at the time I'm like i had the base two questions like one was it possible and two would he back me up you know uh would would he still continue to work and, and things like that and uh i was basically given a green light from management that i would have you know assistance and that they felt that We could, we could make it work and, um, I had to then call the rest of the band and that being Emil and Matt and, uh, DeVries at the time and Z and Austin and everybody was like super gung ho right off the bat and except uh, DeVries kind of didn't really have an answer. So we all were like, well, you don't have an answer. That's your answer, you know, so he hadn't really shown up so much to the, the studio sessions and uh just, he had kind of expressed that he didn't feel people would uh, really be into the idea of the band without Rob and especially like with all the things that else that had gone on and everybody else leaving. So he, he chose to uh, take a different, take a different route. And, um, so then yeah it was a more or less like okay well here we are the four of us uh what who do we want to get we knew we wanted to have uh jeremy just because we all had a good chemistry on 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 tour um me amel and sean just were, right. were pretty inseparable inseparable and then um when it came to guitar it was just basically amel who can hang with you and who can play along and not be bothersome in in terms of you know in guitar players it have to sometimes worry, like, is the other guy picking like me? Can he, do I have to dumb my wrists down so the rhythm guy can keep up? You know, there's, there's a lot of weird factors that can go uh, into the psyche of, of, two guitarists playing. And that's why a lot of the really great ones don't really have a rhythm guitarist. You know, they don't have, they don't have to deal with that. So, um, it was just imperative to find, uh, someone for AMO that, had the chops that could keep up and, and was also a dedicated musician. And he mentioned, uh, Matt Schlafka, who I knew from touring with Dirge Within, but I, I can't say that I was the biggest, biggest Dirge Within fan. Um, <laughs> That's too no, awesome. no, yeah, no offense to Matt or, or the rest of the guys. I just, you know, it wasn't my cup of tea. Right. And, uh, I didn't re- necessarily say that I, I had the same vision as Emil and he, Emil just kind of looked at me and he's like dude trust me this guy can this guy can fucking hang he said he's like a, he's just a freak and so if somebody like Emil is telling you like this guy's a freak and I like I listened and uh and here it was um we went on tour and that was the test. you know can are we going to get along are the fans going to be interested in it how's it going to sound what's the chemistry going to be like and I just I pretty much did two tours and didn't take a cent uh, and paid everybody as if it was like the last gigs we would ever do. And, um, was like, well, oh, I hope that I still have a record deal after this. <laughs> like, I don't know, I don't know where it's going to go. I had no, no idea. And we wound up having like an amazing time on the tour. The fans were extremely responsive. Like the performances were some of the best I had, I felt that I'd, I'd been. I had been. And, uh, the chemistry, couldn't have been better. And it just seemed to daily, uh, improve daily. And so then it was, uh, uh, strangely enough, that manager that convinced me to go, like he was no longer even working for the group by the, before Rob left. Okay. So I had to get a new manager and, and, and all of that. And, uh, lo and behold, uh, Jerry club, uh, who, who manages, uh, suicide silence and, uh, Memphis Mayfire was up has been a big fan of this band for years. And he was a a kid that used to come to the shows that we almost called kind of a, a punisher fan where he, uh, it's the kind of kid that just never leaves you guys alone. He's always (laughs) by the bus, always hanging out, wants to, you know, take million photos with the band and, uh, they mean the best, but sometimes it, you know, sometimes it's punishing. And, uh, so, uh, we teamed up with him and, um, he just, could kind of see where all the uh, flaws were in, in in the business side of things. And he just said, yeah, I mean, he, he still wants, wants to do it, and, and let's just move forward and, and build this up and write an album. And so long story short, uh, here we are, and uh, I'm very grateful to be
5: so at that. So how conscious were you when it came time to write the album of, you know, you've struck a great balance, I think, between it sounds like a Chimera album, but it doesn't sound like anyone's trying to imitate the old band. You know, Emil gets to do his thing. Austin totally gets to do his thing. Sean gets to do his thing. Um, How do you strike that balance, or were you not conscious of that at all?
1: Well, I think that subconsciously, everybody knows what band they're playing in, and I don't think that anyone would, throw in the type of song that might be more suitable for a band like uh, i'm on our mouth or something you know um so i think that in that regard people knew what band they were in and that helped but most importantly i think that the essence of this band has always been just about people doing what they want to do and putting in their style and that is kind of what creates our sound and um, so my just by maintaining the original essence that's been there since day one, um, musicians kinda do what the musicians are gonna do. And let's just make it heavy and groove. Um they just followed uh the structure. And yeah, there wasn't really much of going back to the back catalogue. I mean, we listened to a couple songs here and there while we were working on things and and maybe just to, for a point of reference like Uh, it'd be really cool if we had a part like this. And and for the most part, we just, we wanted to uh, do something completely different. And we were, I wanted to say skeptical about what we were creating, but uh, there was definitely moments of doubt until we kind of heard it all come together. (laughs) (laughs) Not like, not doubt in a bad way, but like, where is this going? I mean, it sounds cool, but in in the earliest stages, it's, it it was like, man, what is this? You know, we didn't, we didn't know. And how
5: involved was Ben in
1: that process? Like,
5: did you send it to him and be like, does it sound like we're on the right path or? He
1: he took a back seat this time around in terms of um, kind of just letting everybody do their own thing. And he wanted to hear it all come together and then make uh, make comments. So the, the types of comments he made were, were pretty minimal with the exception of like maybe one or two songs. Um, and, and the things that he he made were more or less like you and I probably wouldn't notice it, but in a in grand scheme of things, it just makes the song better. Where he like, hey, Austin, I want you to play this fill with a certain type of feel, and it, it just changes the dynamic of the song in, in a minuscule manner. But at the end of the day, in the big picture, it, it means everything because it just made it made it glue that much tighter together. So Ben was really. Kind of tried to pay attention for things like that to just really make sure that the songs had a, uh, had a very, a, a flow because everybody was playing such crazy, ridiculous parts at some some point, you still want Larry from Arkansas to be able to figure out what's going on. (laughs) Um, So that was imperative. And then um, with a couple of of the songs, it was just more or less that, that the band had hit kind of a dead end with the arrangement. And while we were working on the demo, we had like three or four riffs that really sounded cool together, but we just didn't know how to make a b and c flow so he kind of came in and and used his skills in the realm of uh he's more of a pop producer these days so he's coming from like how do you write great songs and like songs that anybody can sing along to so how do you make technical death metal or whatever you want to call the riff that's happening catchy and appealing and make sure it's all in the pocket and uh all performed exceptionally that's that's where he he went in and he definitely wasn't in a realm of like, hey, let's let's make this sound like old records. Up until it got to the mix where he just that—that's when the a, a B sessions came out, where he, he would listen to like a song from Impossibility and listen to our mix, and then he would listen to a song from Self Title, listen to the new mix, et cetera, et cetera. So we were conscious, maybe only in, in like, hey, does this still sound as good and as, the quality and, and what people are are used to hearing from our band uh, in terms of tonality and thickness and production. And, and that's important to, to me. Like I I would hate to have to take a step back and release some sort of trash can sounding recording.
5: Well, it definitely sounds good, man. You don't have to worry about that. Um,
1: What what was exciting about that was, was very raw. I mean, it then actually made the comment that most metal drumming will, will put uh, it's like samples on top of the, on top of the recorded tones, and it's it just like an enhancing thing. It's been done since the beginning of time. And he said that this was the, the most minimal amount of, of any sort of processing he did on any drumming recording ever. Oh, wow. Very natural drums.
5: Um, I, I mean... Think it- sorry I keep interrupting you I'm so sorry <laughs> no I just can't shut up it's my problem <laughs> no it's, I'm interviewing you you're supposed to be talking um, no Austin is just he's a beast on this album I think he I think he has not really gotten the recognition he deserves in the past and I I kind of think this album will make people pay attention to him more he sounds amazing
1: yeah I hope so it was uh, it's incredible watching him um, perform and there's this really cool scene on, on uh, the the DVD that's going to come out with it. It's just of him tracking one of the tracks and it just, he's so pissed. I mean, he, <laughs> he, he kind of looked like Joe Rogan to me a little bit. if uh, or like a UFC fighter kind of type guy. And, uh, I don't know. He just—he looks like an MMA guy behind the kit, and like he's ground and pounding somebody when he's playing. And and to play the type of technical shit he's doing, and and but, but being like super extreme and
5: punchy <laughs> with it is really fun. Did Todd Bell make this DVD again, or did you work with someone new this time?
1: Yeah, we. Uh, <clears throat> I kind of wanted to step outside of uh, of that realm and work with uh, an unknown slash independent type. So right. we did everything. Uh, we did everything with uh, Patrick Finnegan, who was actually he's in a band called Ohio Sky. But he did the keyboards for our, our uh, The Age of Hell with me, and um, he's just a really hands on, artsy kind of guy. He actually he's a, actually an art teacher um, at the Cleveland Institute of Art. And um, just one of those guys that if you give him a project, no matter how big, no matter how ridiculous, and no matter the request, he can just pull it off. So we wanted, uh, where I think Todd is a super brilliant uh, photographer and great storyteller and epic, and everything he does touches is like this big Hollywood uh, awesomeness. Uh, Pat's more in the uh, dark uh uh Gasper, no uh, I don't know how you say that his last name. I think gasper, it's no, no a, but yeah no way no way yeah gasper no way realm where it's just dirty and grimy and and uh a, a little little more on the raw side of things, and I thought that was um the best way to to capture the the raw essence of the group and uh I also had a lot to do with uh filming and editing um just really getting a the hands-on learning experience and which was awesome for me because I really got to, to know the guys uh, inside and out when, when those candid moments where they probably weren't thinking anyone would see them. Um, I got to see a lot of just how they are and what, what the band means to them. So putting it together was uh, really special and and getting to do that kind of hands-on thing. So, uh, definitely want, want to work with Todd again and have him uh, work uh, another side of it. But uh, this for this particular project and, and the whole Indiegogo campaign, the band really wanted to work with Pat based on uh, just some of the crazy stuff we've seen the guy do and, and just the attitude of uh, he wasn't trying to do anything but make it raw and real. You know, right. and his band is also really good. People should check out Ohio Sky. Um, yeah, they it, man. I wish they would get some more no- notoriety. It's one of those bands that just, I, mean, I, I spent all that time on Mayhem watching all these bands with huge production, and I come back to their rehearsal space with two amps and a, a bass rig and a drum set, and, and the hairs on my arms just stood up, and no, no band was able to do that for me on Mayhem. <laughs> I
5: think they exist in kind of a weird area where, like, I don't really know what genre you would place them in, you know?
1: Yeah, I don't either. I, I you know, they, I could see them tour with the Tones or uh, Coheed, but I you can also put them up. I mean, they work with us surprisingly. I mean, with the few shows maybe with maybe with the exception of our Christmas show, but man, any it's hard for any band to get a good re- response on that. Um but uh yeah, some of the other side shows like we played uh we played with them in, in Flint, Michigan, and that crowd just ate them up. It was it was crazy. So, uh, I think that's a cool sign when a when a band can fit into kind of any genre and and
5: make it work. Well, that's awesome that. I didn't realize he so he made the music videos too, I take it.
1: Yeah, we did both music videos in the span of uh it was about a week, a week week and a half where uh it was just crazy. Every day was was a new shot and it took, like, the Mercy video, for example, it took just days on end to build the sets, and he built every set. He built the coffin I'm in. He built all the, uh, the club that I'm in. And, and what's really funny is every single scene from that video is the s- is same, uh, for, for Chimera Purists. Uh, it's the same location we use for Year of the Snake. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> <It's>, funny. <laughs> Every shot just looks completely different because he manipulated it to look different. But it was all the same, which is right above, right above where Kamara used to practice uh, from the old DVD. So we we tried to keep everything, uh, a lot of the essence there, you know, writing and recording in Cleveland and uh, doing the videos in a similar location. I'd say the past four videos now have been done in the same vicinity we need to step out of the box there though now <laughs> part of the part of the video uh, the, um, I don't know if you've seen the video you guys are premiering uh, for all that's left is blood uh-huh. but there's a lot there's a lot of all the blood scenes were filmed in my garage which was hysterical uh, because I had to have everyone basically run out of my garage into this nice suburban neighborhood mind you where everyone is pfft, Probably on my street, most of them are over over the fifties, with the exception of my next door neighbor. And I have band members running uh, out, out into the, into the into the driveway, covered in blood. <laughs> 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 I looked like I was having a, a, a blood baptism in my garage, and they, and my there were seriously neighbors across the street from me thinking that I uh, was a Satan worshipper. <laughs>
5: um, I mean, do they know what you do, your neighbors? <laughs> I would think they would actually, just think like, "Oh, crazy Mark Hunter from the metal band is up to his old shenanigans."
1: Well, that's where they're at with it now, and it's it's actually funny. But I mean, if I would have did if I would have pulled that shit two years ago when when they before we had the uh, commute the block party, that really smoothed things over, and they realized I was a just a nice normal chap uh-huh. that had a very biz- bizarre day job. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um,
5: okay. Well fair enough. Uh so speaking of the DUD and the videos, how did you if your deal with E one is, is still in place, how did you come to the decision to do the Indiegogo campaign?
1: Just we've always been a fan of um the experience being enhanced the best we could and ever since we were able to afford record vi- video ourselves, we've been doing it and it's just a tradition that I, I just necessarily didn't want to stop that we uh, sort of had to take a, a step back with on the on the last album, and it just seems that the financial aspect on deals now, while there are budgets for videos, they're just not quite what they used to be. And um, there definitely wasn't a budget to do any sort of documentary or film the band. And I think it's important for people, uh, if, if we're going to continue and move forward, that people meet uh, everybody in the band and see where they're coming from and 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 all of that was very imperative. And we just basically spoke with D1 and said, you know, we want to do all these things. We think it'll enhance the experience of our album at the end as well. It, it will help you guys sell records. Uh, if anything, if we're able to, to get our fans excited about all the content that's coming and, and this and that, that should just put more uh, eyes on the, on the release. And, um, we were pretty blown away to see that it doubled what we were uh, asking for. And, and we had no expectations. And then the first day when it hit 10,000, I was actually nervous because I mean, it's a new band and, and they, nobody had really heard anything yet. And, and it's not to say that we had the easiest of times over the past year to climbing up the hill, uh, make it solidify that this is, this is for real. So um, it was a really awesome experience. when you know, we were able to really smile and, and, and have a moment of like, holy shit, this is this might do really well. And um, we kind of took the crapshoot, and, and we we invested the, a lot of the money into uh, the front end of things because we had to film the the documentary before we launched that and stuff like that. So. We could have been out of pocket, but uh, luckily uh, that wasn't the case. Yeah, well, it worked
5: out. It worked out pretty
1: big time. It seems like. Yeah, it was great. This helps the band. I mean, uh, there were, there was a little debt and, that we needed to take care of, and also um, a, an important thing to note is that this incarnation of the band. It, it's not like there was all this money saved up from from the old. You know, it's like a uh, divorce where I got half the money uh, <laughs> and all this <laughs> stuff there, there, there was no money. So our band, when we went to Australia, um, it was basically being fronted by my bank account from then on until we, uh, were ba- officially back on our feet again. And, um, so this helps now to have a little extra money in, in terms of setting the band up. If we have to go on tour, like we do in a couple of weeks now, I, uh, don't have to figure out how we're going to put a down payment down on the bus, or figure out if how we're going to fly uh, some of the guys in, and, and et cetera, et cetera. It, it it just helps to have a operating account.
5: Yeah, I'll bet. Uh, I just want to ask you one more question before I let you go. I know you're busy. And I appreciate you talking to us. Um, I, c- I could talk to you about any song on the album, but the one I specifically wanted to ask about is the transmigration. It's super different for you guys, obviously. And um, you were talking about flow before. It also flows right into the title track, which comes right after it. I was just wondering if you could tell me how those two songs came together, if one came
1: first or... Yeah, um, when Emil was first uh, writing the title track, he had envisioned it to have an intro and I believe he referenced, I think it's the intro on the gathering Testament.
5: Uh-huh.
1: And uh, he really liked how on that particular song, the you'll hear, you'll hear the similarity of what I mean, the way the guitar is kind of strumming right. um, that he, he really enjoyed and wanted to replicate in a way and pay homage to having this like really cool intro that would lead into uh, the song. And then, that was one of the songs that was actually difficult to, uh, the title track uh, to, to to work on. Um, it was one the, the, the hardest one to to write. But the way the the actual music for Transmigration was written, um, Matt and Emil just escaped into the darkest, shittiest, dingiest corner of the studio, and opened up a couple of beers and and picked up their acoustics and put a microphone in there and about 12 hours later they were like hey what do you guys think of this so i i really don't know too much of what happened back there but uh we were all like, "Whoa, that sounds pretty epic!" And I loved it that when we put out our first teaser, people were complaining that there wasn't any music on there. I'm like, whoa, yeah. I mean, we gave them like 30 seconds of the transmigration. What are you
0: talking about? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: There's um, music there. What are you guys talking about? The whole teaser is <laughs> music. Is music from the new album? I'm like, Fuck you guys.
5: Man. <laughs> um, how did the keyboard part come about? Because it's like, <laughs> it's the it totally works, but it's it's not, it's such a weird sound that I like wouldn't have guessed was the Chimera keyboard sound.
1: <laughs> I think that, uh, Emil wrote that he, uh, that particular part. Um, I think he did that all on, uh, he, on a computer program. He basically just wrote the notes that uh-huh. he wanted to hear and then the, the computer played it. So it was, it was very strange where these guys were using like their laptops and, uh their guitars but they were also using the the ambience of the room and it was just a, a hybrid of uh all sorts of different methods to create that track and so i think that uh those particular sounds were done just in hey play perform these notes and, and that's what happened and we always make jokes because uh, none of us the rest of the guys are in the band are involved uh, in the writing of that song. So, of course, if the publishing on that song does really well, Matt and Namel will uh, thrive. So we always make jokes like James James Cameron's going to call and use that song for Avatar 2. <laughs> and uh, meanwhile, uh, Matt and Namel will uh, roll up to the uh, the venues and Lamborghinis while we're still in the bandwagon, can't even afford a bus. And <laughs> well. Hopefully if they make that much money off of it, they'll
5: at least spring for a bus for you guys.
3: title song from the brand new chimera record called Crown of Phantoms on the Metal Sucks podcast right there that's the uh, transmigration slash crown of phantoms it's a mix that that intro is so is so weird it's it's really kind of strange man but the record i think you're going to enjoy it. it comes out this week so check out the brand new chimera thank you mark hunter for being on the show and thank you godless for being an awesome dude
0: liar what dude (laughs)
3: i'm I'm not calling you out or anything what what? you're you are an awesome dude bro you're gonna be you're gonna be back in the states soon enough and i'll be able to like mock you to your face again it'll be great (laughs) mount or mock both (laughs) wait what oh wait i don't know i think i think that's uh you know wrong we got to wrap this thing up, though. we got to be, be done with it. We're always running long these days, I tell you. It's uh, one of those things. We just love to talk metal. It's what we do.
4: So uh, much to talk about.
3: It's what we do all the time, and we do it every week. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes. Uh, it's a one-click boom, and it comes right to your iPhone, iPad, uh, whatever device that you've got. I think you can square it away. Or you can log on to net. of course, every week on Monday. That's when our podcast gets posted. You can uh, listen to it all week long. In Austin, we broadcast it live on a, well, not live, broadcast it recorded late on a a, no-control radio HD3 here in Austin that you can find on TuneIn Radio. I am Chickity Chuck. And I'm Godless. And this has been the Metal Sucks Podcast. We'll leave you with a brand new one from All Pigs Must Die. (laughs)